Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that rides with you through the highs and lows like the early stages of any child actor's career. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you land mermaid and golden god of Michigan football media personalities, how are you feeling, my brother? I am doing better than normal, sir. Celebrating that win. I'm still on cloud nine. How are you? Man, I'm over the hangover that came after the victory. Finally, it took a couple days, but it was well worth every ounce of pain because the pleasure makes it worth it. After what had to have been the most complete victory, I think we can say for sure, but maybe the best victory of the Harbaugh era? Easily the best victory of the hardball era. Um, Ties the highest ranked team time of Michigan beating them with Wisconsin from 2016. But that was a 14 to 7 game. I was actually attending that one. And that was a good win. Very solid. But this was just an absolute mauling, an evisceration of an inferior species. There's no comparison. 
it's really not. And I feel like the pendulum tipped in this one, uh, just the way that the momentum built and built and then just cascaded over Notre Dame. There was nothing that they could do to stop it. And while that Wisconsin game, yeah, absolutely. A great victory. It's got the Jordan Lewis interception. I mean, it's tough to pick a best play from this. And it just comes at a time when the program needed it. Yeah, their backs have been against the wall pretty much since Wisconsin. The Iowa victory kind of helped it a little bit, but it just wasn't the same feeling. And then you have the heartbreaker last week to Penn State. Everyone's kind of down, sad, the Ronnie Bell situation. But to come out like this, just like gangbusters from the beginning, and just embrace the elements, embrace everything, the chaos of it, oh my, probably easily my favorite game of the Harbaugh era. This was just enjoyable from start to finish, except for maybe, you know, the phantom pass interference. Yeah, yeah, we can get past that, though. This is definitely the most likely game for me to stick a blowtorch under and heat it over a spoon and then inject it directly into my veins. I've already watched the game three times over. I've watched more highlights than I can stomach. Uh, I skipped a homework assignment in favor of watching this game again. So this is one that's going to stick with me for a while. Final score, 45-14, and let's kind of get into that game, into the specifics of it and, uh, and some of the plays of the game and players of the game. Let's start kind of early in the game, a play that Fowler and Herbstreet kept referring to that changed everything, and that was the Notre Dame blocked punt that Will Hart still got off, by the way, so kudos to Will Hart. But then a Notre Dame player touches it, fumbles around with it, and Michigan recovers. So it was just like the long way around to getting a first down for Michigan. Swung everything. It definitely did because they're probably in a position to get points from there. They get the ball in like the 35, 40-yard line in plus territory, but instead we get it back. Um, or excuse me, they wouldn't have been in plus territory because we get it back in plus territory. And it's just the ebbs and flows of the game, the breaks that Michigan were not getting early on in the season. Some of those breaks and some of those issues were self-inflicted, a lot of fumbles. But in this game, not only did they hold on to it, they, they forced some mistakes on the Notre Dame side and capitalized. That was a huge momentum shift. Michigan goes down and gets three, goes up three, nothing. Uh, after that, I mean, it was all Michigan in the first quarter, so that kind of set the tone. It was just really good situational, situational awareness by the punting team as well to be find, to track the ball, find it, and then jump on top of it once the ball was touched so they could recover it in advance. I don't think this team against Wisconsin would have made the same type of play in the moment. No, I definitely don't. Just the situational awareness, and uh, I think it was Dax Hill. Dax Hill recovered one of them, came from like 20 yards away to recover it. He got the uh, late one, yeah. Yeah, I think he got the later one, yeah. But uh, just great situational awareness. Uh, another key point in the game. So after that, Michigan goes up 17 nothing. Uh, it's looking good, but then after the half, Michigan comes out really stagnant. That's where you get your BS pass interference call that leads to the first touchdown for Notre Dame, cuts it to a 10-point deficit. Um, let's let's kind of talk about that play and then what happened after that. Yeah, Hassan Haskins, I think it has to start and end with him. Michigan's offense seemed to be sputtering a little bit, and then the offensive line once again emerges. Hassan Haskins hits the hole hard and with authority, lands a vicious stiff arm to just a would-be linebacker and breaks a 40, I believe it was a 49-yard run, and just swung everything. Momentum's back in Michigan's favor. All Everything – is trending upwards now, and you're in business close to the red zone. 
Yeah, so you get it back after that completely absurd pass interference call. You're uh, you rip one off with the San Haskins, get into plus territory there, and then yeah, you're aided by uh, a couple pass interference calls. One of them that maybe wasn't uh, actually there. So I mean, it evens out as far as the the play call, or excuse me, the officiating. But what I was impressed with is just that answer. Just you know, it looks like momentum is shifting back, and then Michigan just grabs it right from them. Hassan Haskins rips one off Shea Patterson is back there and he hits Donovan Peoples Jones after getting just demolished while he's throwing completes one to DPJ we go up 24 7 that to me was probably the most important drive of the game that's a great point because early on in the season this team had the snowball effect when one bad thing would happen it would snowball and snowball and just get worse and worse until you're in this insurmountable deficit this team rolled with the punches absorbed that bad officiating kept going, pushed through it, and completely flipped the game. They seized control, imposed their will, and made the momentum follow them. Yeah, it was beautiful to watch. And uh, I want to give props to both the scheme, like the overall game plan, and then the in-game coaching. I mean, Michigan, 437 yards to Notre Dame's 180. Uh, They got over 100 yards late in the fourth quarter when this game was already decided. Notre Dame threw the ball 29 times to Michigan's 14. Michigan rushed it for 57 times. Now, granted, it's easy to, to keep going with something when it's working, and Notre Dame wasn't able to get much running game going early, and we were, so we stuck with that. But credit to Harbaugh. You know, after his terrible game in the rain against Michigan State, throwing the ball for 30 times, wherever it was. And, and Brian Kelly had one of those in 2016, the hurricane game, where he threw the ball 26 times and ran it 14 times. In this game, Harbaugh adjusted and was the coach that had his team better prepare, prepared to play in the elements. Yeah, and Michigan wasn't coming off a bye week like Notre Dame. Harbaugh and company embraced everything that was going on and did what it took to win. And that's what a great team does. Just because your identity is passing doesn't mean you have to pass the ball every down or two times every possession or anything like that. Your identity should be winning, and that's what Michigan is starting to embrace. So I want to touch on just the the swagger, the, the gusto, the unmitigated gall of Harbaugh in the fourth quarter when you're up, you know, 24 to seven at the time and you get down about the 35 yard line both Fowler and Herbstreit are saying well they're probably going to run it three times kick a field goal he takes a shot at Nico Collins on first down I mean credit to Gaddis credit to Harbaugh but this is a type of we don't give a damn offense and just boot on the throat that we have not seen in some time this is Randy Marsh in South Park carrying his balls in a wheelbarrow down the road. <laughs> this is what Harbaugh did in the fourth quarter. Just came down there and imposed their will and ran up the score. This is going for two against Rutgers when you're already up five touchdowns. This is what we've all been clamoring for, this competitiveness. And I don't know if it's his belief in the team that leads to this. Maybe he hasn't felt this kind of way in a while. But, I mean, he trusted everybody in this game, especially Shea Patterson throwing up that kind of pass late in the game. It was beautiful to watch. It was beautiful to watch. And I mean, it had me, it was giving me the goosebumps just seeing that kind of attitude come back to this team. I mean, it's like you said, it was a put your manhood on the table and, and let's see what you've got just kind of moment or the, the whole second half of that game, especially the fourth quarter um, to keep going on coaching and scheme, no turnover somehow in those elements when they were turning it over in, you know, early September when, you know, it's still 70 degrees outside 
and uh, and Don Brown. I mean, you also want to talk about putting your manhood on the table. They've got uh, fourth down. They forced a fourth down, and there was a, a holding call. And rather than uh, decline the holding holding call and make them punt, they put them back out on the field to make them try and convert. Manhood on the table. Yeah, they just didn't want him to have over 100 yards of offense. This was against this caliber of opponent was the best Don Brown I've ever seen. I mean, this this offense is good. Brian Kelly is known for his offenses. And what he did against this team was just incredible. The way they mixed up zone, bracket coverages, man, complex looks, exotic blitzes, even just exotic rushes with four people. We talked about it off air, just bringing two defensive ends and a linebacker, dropping tackles or bringing a tackle and dropping an end. With this unit's positional versatility and speed, they're able to mix things up, and Don Brown is utilizing that to perfection now. He really is. I could not possibly give him more props than the changes he's made from that just man, like very consistent man scheme where it's always going to be hat on hat, our guy on your guy, and man-to-man coverage. I mean, now he's mixing in zone. He's only rushing four, like you were saying, with these exotic blitzes, which really helps when you've got speedsters like Uche and McGrone that are just as dangerous rushing the passer as they are dropping into coverage. I mean, those guys are great in coverage. We've seen Uche hang with KJ Hamler and McGrone. I mean, he's just do it all. So yeah, I mean, since we're talking about players, let's kind of, let's kind of get into some of the players that stood out um, in in that game. How about uh, since we're going on defense, you kind of already mentioned a few guys there. Um, Also, I want to mention next a guy we haven't talked about as much, especially endearingly, that is Lavert Hill. I believe he had one or two pass breakups. They were perfect. This is the Levert Hill we've been clamoring about for years now, that he has this technique. He doesn't have to keep grabbing receivers. And he's finally broken that habit and just getting position and getting his head around first and foremost. He was just clamps all game on the outside. Yeah, it's so bizarre that like there were all these things that were kind of going wrong, but now they're all starting to click. And one of those things early in the season was in the secondary guys not getting their head around. Lavert Hill was money. You're absolutely right. I mean, he had a pass break up in there where he got his body completely around, was squared up with the quarterback, jumped up, tipped it away. He was all over the place, almost had a pick six going back the other direction, um, half a second beforehand or better conditions, and he's got it. The entire secondary, really. Brad Hawkins was robbed of a pick. Dax Hill, incredibly instinctive, fumble recovery in there, all over the field, a monster on the crossing routes. Yeah, absolute monster. And the safeties, Hawkins and Metellus, were outstanding in run support. I can't remember Michigan safeties being that fast to the ball. And Dax Hill, we know how fast he is. But those two, especially Metellus and Hawkins, were flying everywhere on the field and coming up to help. Brilliant to watch. Vincent Gray was getting picked on a little bit, but he had a pretty tall task, if you know what I mean, against that Notre Dame receiver. Yeah, yeah, he really did. He almost re- reminds me of a reverse Channing Stribling. Like, hasn't quite figured out. He's long and he's lanky, but hasn't quite figured out the coverage aspect of it, but is really solid in run support. So, yeah, I mean, he's got to come along a little bit as far as his coverage, but he'll get picked on a little bit and something to watch moving forward. But the other guys in that secondary, you can really count on. Uh, Cam McGrown-Ass Man is a full-on star now. Uh, he needs a nickname. I'm submitting McGrown-Ass Man, but we can do better. Uh, we'll see what else is out there. Uh, he's a star. What happens, what happens with Josh Ross? That's a very good question. I mean, he comes in for depth, and I'm wondering maybe, you know, if you, you can't move McGrown around a little bit. I mean, McGrown has to be on the field 
a bunch. I mean, that's very, very clear. Now he brings a speed element, a playmaking element. He's instinctive, uh, just able to get sideline to sideline. But I don't know. Do you, what do you think they'll do? I mean, Ross is too good to keep off the field as well. He's got to be rotational, though. You can't eliminate the spark McGrone gave this team and how much he's improving game by game. I mean, he's an absolute, like you said, star. You can't keep him off the field. So I think McGrone has to remain the starter, and Ross just has to be the first one off the bench to relieve him now. Yeah, probably so. Maybe you can move uh, Ross in and out of the lineup with Uche, too, and have him be kind of like a pseudo uh, defensive end that can rush the passer or uh, back out into coverage. I don't know. I mean, I trust Don Brown to utilize the pieces he has, and they'll they'll put guys on the field. They'll put their 11 best on the field. So if they think Josh Ross is still part of that, he'll find a way onto the field. But you said it. You cannot take snaps away from McGrone right now. No, and uh, to keep moving up on the defense now, talk about the defensive line a little bit. Carlo Kemp is outstanding. Like yeah. His name's not going to pop off the statue, but he is just disruptive in there and clogs up lanes. And Aiden Hutchinson's the same thing. He is just a terror on the outside, bullying people around, quick off the ball, physical, getting better. And a little on down the depth chart, Luigi Valene Truther's got a little got a little taste this weekend. So hats off to you all. Yeah, we saw him out there. I was very happy to see that though, and also uh, created two fumbles there. I mean, well, he, yeah, he was he was in there making some plays. So I mean, he was only not on the field because of injuries. So they like what he brings as far as athleticism. If we can get some more speed at defensive end to go along with Hutch. Uh, I mean, look out because Hutchinson right now is mauling people. I haven't seen any tackle that's been able to handle him in the last couple weeks. I mean, you just can't deal with him one-on-one because even if he doesn't get there on the rush, he's becoming smarter and realizing that he can get up and clog passing lanes. I mean, at 6'6", he can really clog some passing lanes. Yeah, he's just – his vision and awareness is what separates him at such a young age. He's only a sophomore. He recognizes screens and pulling guards and where to be – I feel like his best trait is he's virtually never out of position in a play. No, not really. And uh, I do want to touch back on Carlo Kemp because you're absolutely right. He's been consistent all year. One of our more consistent players, not going to jump off the stat sheet, but yeah, uh, Dwumfor coming back has helped him as well. And Jordan Glasgow, another great game for Jordan Glasgow. Um, just proving that, I mean, hard will determination and he's, he's pretty quick. I mean, for, for that Viper position, he's still pretty quick. And, you know, he's useful, especially on blitzes. Yeah, it's funny we talk about all these names, and it's like Kalik Hudson's been so under the radar, but he's just been solid. Not me, nothing crazy. He's never going to repeat the 2017 season when he just flashed all over the place because no one knew about him, but he's been he's been solid. He's been just fine. Yeah, Kalik Hudson's been really good. Doesn't have the tackles for losses, interceptions, and game-changing stats, but is one of the most steady guys on the team. You can trust him in coverage. You can trust him blitzing. Uh, he's going to be our leading tackler unless Cam McGrone just goes on some crazy charge. But for all intents and purposes, he's your your leading tackler this season. So, yeah, I mean, really it's easier to pick somebody that didn't have a great game than all the guys that did because that was a full-on defensive effort. Uh, how about the offense? Who, who really stood out to you on offense? Uh, I have a position group and a player, and I think you can – narrow down the position group pretty quick. It's the offensive line. Yeah. This is the best offensive line performance I can remember at Michigan since Lloyd Carr was there full stop. 
Yep, that is correct. It is the best offensive line performance since the Lloyd Carr days. I don't think that you could even question that. Cesar Ruiz had one of the best days I've ever seen a center have. I mean, you don't usually hear the center's name being called that many times, but his athleticism when he's pulling, I mean, he's getting out there before Haskins, and I mean, he's got time to check two gaps. It's unreal what Cesar Ruiz did in that game. Yeah, he is really, really growing in front of our eyes. The the quickness, they're utilizing his speed. And finally, our running backs are learning how to run behind these zone concepts or allowing the offensive line to get to their blocks and open up the holes late on down the route, just using that patience you see from like Le'Veon Bells and the NFL type backs. Just this offensive line, when they're allowed to work, is just beautiful in run blocking and you couple that with their pass protection, John Runyon's been all planet. Yeah, I tweeted during the game that it's time he starts getting day two draft uh, recognition because, I mean, look at who he's gone up in the in the last couple of weeks. He's gone up against Epinesa, Gross Matos, and uh, in that game, Julian Okwara, and he stoned them all. He stoned yeah. them all. Like, nobody's gotten through on John Runyon. I mean, those are three guys that have been predicted to go in the first round. If he holds his own against Chase Young, I say he goes in the first round. Yeah, the Chase Young battle feels like it's starting to be uh, a lesser version, at least for the Michigan lineman's sake, of uh, Jake Long versus Vernon Golston. That's what it feels like, except their kind of roles are reversed with the hype, how Jake Long was the number one pick. It feels like Chase Young will be, and then John Runyon's going to be a little on further down. But this is what the matchup's leading to. If he stones Chase Young just Oof. all game, gives up one sack or something, I'm going to be inconsolably happy for the rest of my life. That's what I'm saying, man. To come where he came from last year against Notre Dame, to be where he's at now as what I think is one of the best left tackles in the game, uh, extremely impressive. And same for Mayfield, who's really coming into his own. Yeah, I feel really good about the future of having Mayfield move out to left eventually because all this experience is just going to pay dividends for him next year. Um, Moving on from the offensive line, let's go to our new starting tailback, Hassan Haskins, former linebacker, former fourth-slash-fifth-string running back to starter against Notre Dame at night. I mean, this dude, I haven't seen anybody climb the depth chart with this kind of a vengeance in, in some time. I mean, he is an absolute monster. His upper body strength, I mean, you just can't bring him down. But he also has, I mean, he's got some explosion to him too. I mean, he's quick. He is very quick. The feet, the everything about him, his patience is what blew me off the map. Like, he utilizes that quickness by being patient at first shooting a gap and then just being an explosive power back from here on out and being a former linebacker you know he likes the contact which Hassan Haskins I can't remember a player just switching positions and climbing a depth chart like you said this quick like it's unheard of no nobody picked Hassan Haskins to be the breakout player of this team no absolutely not and uh, Zach Charbonnet in that game tying uh, Tyrone Wheatley and Mike Hart for most touchdowns by a true freshman, and we still have four games left. I mean, yeah. and those guys turned out pretty good for us. You can tell what we've got. Uh, by the way, Hassan Haskins is a redshirt freshman. Zach Charbonnet is a true freshman, and Blake Corum comes in next year. So get excited. Yeah, feeling really good. And True Wilson came in and gave some great run. really good, great runs in there. Christian Turner, even late in the game, came in and held onto the ball. Yeah. So 
just the whole running back room. It was a great day. Yeah, and uh, as far as receivers and tight ends, Nico starting to pull double teams. Uh, great catch in the end zone. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a great sliding catch. But how about the freshman, Mikey Sainristrill in relief of uh, Ronnie Bell? Looking like Junior Hemingway out there, breaking tackles and just shedding defenders in his limited time. And they're talking about giving him an expanded role in the offense, and I think he deserves it. Yeah, especially if Ronnie Bell's out. I mean, it makes sense, next man up, and uh, he can fill that role of Ronnie Bell as the speedy slot guy that can, you know, catch a ball and get some yards after catch. We saw that. I mean, he was our leading receiver in that game. Very impressed with what I saw from him and just the continued emergence of this wide receiving core. Um, very strange here that Tariq Black has kind of seemingly been passed up and he was the guy that really wanted to transfer or excuse me. Um, he wanted to go to the NFL after his junior season. Doesn't look like that's going to be possible. Do you see him being so unhappy that he transfers or will he come back one more year with a McCaffrey led passing attack? It really seems like Tariq Black's and the Christian Turners of the world are heading for the transfer portal sometime within between now and June 2020, it's going to happen. You just get swallowed up. Tariq Black had several opportunities. Things didn't work out for whatever reason. Same thing with Christian Turner, and that's football at this level. Yeah, it, it happens. With Christian Turner, I could see it. If I were Tariq Black, though, rather than transfer and maybe have to sit out a year, uh, if you could come back and be our number one receiver in McCaffrey-led passing attack, you know, I mean, because he he more projects better to that number one receiver at six three, six two and a half, or whatever he is. But yeah, I could see it. I was thinking about how unhappy he probably is getting passed up by the Mike Sainristrills of the world. But I, I've always been a huge Tariq Black fan, so hoping he sticks around. Yeah, me as well. But I mean, that's we're presuming he comes back next year as the number one if Nico and Peoples Jones both leave. So he's got a don't hold your breath, kid. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's kind of the way I'm leaning. But really, just all in all, a dominant performance. I mean, we got to see Run DMC come in late in the game, Joe Milton. I would never have thought we'd see Joe Milton in that game. So that just goes to show you how complete of a game it was, all the way down from coaching staff to everybody on the offense, special teams, everybody, just a very complete victory in that one. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, but uh, Michigan's got Maryland on the schedule next. So when we get back, we will break down the Maryland Terrapins. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are back moving through the season next week at College Park in Maryland, Michigan will travel to see the fighting Maryland Terrapins. Don't know how much fighting you could expect. Maryland just came off of a 52-10 to defeat to the fighting P.J. Flex. Season's been in a tailspin since that 
oh-so-brief yet wondrous one-week period where they were ranked. Uh, wins against Rutgers, Howard, and Syracuse. Losses to Penn State, Purdue, Temple, Indiana, and, of course, Minnesota. I mean, where do you want to start with Maryland, my friend? Uh, I don't think it's going to be much of a game. This one should be over quickly. A team we hoped Michigan had looked like in week two of the year. I will never forgive ourselves for doing that. Why can't we be like Mike Loxley and this team? Where's our offense? Yeah, we, we were wrong. We were really, really wrong because Maryland still sucks. Josh Jackson's not the answer. Anthony McFarland's a gimmick player, it feels like, and their strengths play right into Michigan's strength defensively, and Michigan's more talented and better coached. It's going to be over yeah. quickly. Yeah, we do need to be penalized for some of those early season comments about it being Loxley and not Gaddis. And I mean, maybe Loxley is a good play caller. That's entirely possible. But right now, I think we're happy with Gaddis and Loxley has lost control of that program. Thing is in a tailspin, like I said. I mean, in their three losses to Penn State, Minnesota, and Purdue, they lost by a margin of 151 to 24. That is uh, not good. (laughs) Excellent insight there. Thank you. Now, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So in the Jim Harbaugh era, Michigan has beaten Maryland every time. In the first year, 28-0. Next year, 59-3. to 35-10. 42-21. Which one of these games' outcomes feels most in common with how you see this year's playing out? Uh, what were the first two years again? 28 nothing and 59 to 3. 59 to 3. Yeah, it's Literally, it's going to be bad. Yeah, this this team was I feel like better under Matt Canada last season, the 42-21 game really exposed Michigan a little bit uh, with some crossing routes, some side-to-side stuff they were using with uh, just more deception, but yeah, this definitely feels more like the 59 to 3 round. This Maryland team is not up to snuff. No, the line here opened at 14 and a half, which is interesting because every game that you just mentioned was over 14 and a half. It's the the uh, Vegas line has since ballooned to 21. I don't generally bet every week, but Michigan's on a run and I've been running with them. I got in at 16 and a half and I bet the house. They are 100% going to cover the spread. Um, the closest team in talent Maryland has played is Penn State. Uh, that was also in College Park, mind you. It was a home game for them. Penn State waxed them 59 nothing In that game, Josh Jackson threw for 65 yards, two interceptions, and the team rushed for 60 yards on 1.8 yards per carry. So against a decent team, and Penn State is a decent team, I think we're better, but you know that's a conversation for another podcast. You saw what Maryland did, and I have no reason to believe Maryland's going to be all of a sudden competitive in this game. No, they lost to Purdue 40-14. to They don't need to say any more about this team. Defensively, they won't be able to stop Michigan's physicality on the line. Offensively, they're not fast enough to exploit any advantages they think they could have. This team is in a tailspin. They thought maybe last week they could ruin Minnesota's per- perfect season, and they got smoked 52-10. to So... This team is not hot. They're not coming off a bye week. They don't have momentum. They don't have Michigan's number. They don't normally play as tough. No, there's not a chance Michigan loses this game, and it's not a chance it's even close. No, I I agree with you. On offense, I mean, they're going to try and and have Josh Jackson and McFarland be their weapons, Uh, but Josh Jackson is having a subpar, subpar year. Uh, He's at basically 1,000 yards, 10 TDs, 4 interceptions, good for a QBR of 41.4, 
which is 106 of 132 in the nation. So the problem is basically they can't throw the ball. Teams realize that, so they stack the box, and then they can't rush the ball. Uh, McFarland's having a down year. I mean, Charbonnet is out rushing Anthony McFarland. Um, I think their leading rusher is actually, what's his name, Javon Leak. I think it is. So, I mean, they want to run the ball with those two guys. Michigan's going to probably stack the box much like they were against Notre Dame, you know, when it was a monsoon outside and have no respect for their rushing game. And I just expect these linebackers and safeties to be playing downhill towards the line of scrimmage all game long. Yeah, Javon Leak is their leading rusher. He has the highest yards per attempt in the Big Ten. Reminds me of a Ty Johnson type of player where that's why his numbers are so high is because his carries are so low and he's used sporadically. Um, McFarland's more every down. And they're going to want to get him side to side, try to exploit some gaps in Michigan's defense. But as I said prior, Michigan's defensive specialty is speed. And that's what they're not going to – they're not going to exploit anything against this defense. This is just another game to continue the momentum where you hurt a little weak and trample the dead. <laughs> trample the dead. My God, that is hard. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, their only real receiving threat is 6'3 sophomore Dante Demas, uh, Ambry Thomas, or Lavert Hill, whoever's uh, matched up against him. I mean, both of those guys are coming on in our secondary. So, I mean, he might have a couple catches, but I don't see uh, Josh Jackson passing for over 100 yards in this game. Uh, like you said, it, I mean, it's time to trample the dead. And uh, Michigan right now is feeling probably as confident as they have in the Harbaugh era. I mean, they've got young guys emerging all over the place. Shea Patterson is playing his best football right now. And Maryland might get caught in a buzzsaw here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in their defense, it, not much better of an outcome. I mean, on defense, they do have uh, linebacker Keandre Jones, who's a difference maker. Uh, he's got six sacks on the season, which is more than anybody we have on our team. Tied for 20th in the nation, but it's basically him and nobody else. Yeah, this is going to be a one-sided beating with Michigan swinging the hammer. Like, <laughs> there's just nothing. I mean, it'll be exciting to watch Michigan continue on, but this feels like the type of momentum the 2016 team had, even a little bit some of the 2018 team had last year in uh, spurts. But, no, this is just a small pebble, not even a stepping stone, to get to the bye week before Michigan State, man. Uh, you got a prediction for this one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So last week, uh, we are actually perfect in our predictions so far, my friend, at least in outcome. Yeah, good job by us. Yeah, good job by us. Uh, we predicted both the Wisconsin and the Penn State loss. We called Notre Dame. You had it 31-20 with Ronnie Bell and Aiden Hutchinson being your offensive and defensive player of the week. I'm not going to fight you on the Hutchinson part. Uh, I had it 28-24 with Hassan Haskins and Khalid Hudson. Uh, not going to fight myself on the Haskins pick, but you got me on the score. Uh, so this week, yeah, let's let's get some more in-depth previews. So I want uh, I want your players of the game for this one. I want your score, and I want your yards and maybe some stats just to have a little fun because it's Maryland. So uh, if you want, I'll go first. Yeah, go, uh, go ahead, man. I'm ready when you are. I'm going to go 41-3. to I think this is an absolute beatdown. I don't think that they're going to be able to score much. They're going to score late in the game when we're resting our guys. Um, I mean, I think that this is going to be close to a shutout. For players of the game, um, they've got the number 94 team defense, number 56 in rush defense, and 116 against the pass. So I think we might want to pass a little bit more, especially to start to get Patterson in some rhythm. Uh, that being said, I mean, Hassan Haskins is the guy right now. He is on a tear. Uh, he got it for me last week. I'm going to stick with Hassan Haskins. I think that he goes for, 
I think he goes for 155, a touchdown. And uh, on defense, uh, why don't you go ahead and give me, why don't you go ahead and give me Cam McGrone? I'm riding with the boys that have been doing it the last couple weeks. Give me five and a half tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss. Not going to fight you on that stat line, my friend. Uh, as as always, I'm going to be close to you. I got Michigan just trouncing this team 45 nothing. Don Brown wants that shutout, wants to just put this team to bed early. As you said, their passing defense is hard to find worse in the country. Uh, I think Shea Patterson's going to have a big day. I think he's going to go over 300 yards. Hey. And I think he's going to have three to four touchdown passes. And on defense, I'll go Josh Metellus. He's going to have one pick, one touchdown, and four tackles. Or, no, sorry. Sorry. Six tackles. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I love it. Uh, Yeah, we haven't really seen too many defensive touchdowns. I would love to see a pick six, especially one from Metellus. Um, you know, especially a guy that's graduating this year and, and could use some NFL hype. Yeah, both of us kind of see this one the same way. Um, I'm surprised that Vegas put that early line at two touchdowns. I don't know what they were seeing. So, yeah, if you can still get in on any of those lines, make yourself some money off this Michigan team. It should be a bloodbath. Uh, <laughs> can't believe Shea Patterson has not passed for 300 yards as a Michigan Wolverine yet. That stat blows my mind. It ends this weekend. And keep in mind with this defense that the quarterback they're facing in Josh Jackson, Josh Jackson at Virginia Tech was just meatloaf. That's the kind of quarterback he was. Like, he's okay, but you don't really want him. And now he's just reheated meatloaf. That's all he is. He went to Maryland, and they reheated him and repackaged him. But guess what? He's still meatloaf. So, no, this defense is going to eat. What a specific and drastically insulting thing to call someone. I mean, <laughs> first of all, meatloaf after a hearty workout or maybe like a hike is one of the most satisfying meals you can have. However, reheated meatloaf is pure trash. Yeah, that's the, the, the regression. Of, yeah, this is the regression of Josh Jackson, a novel yeah. by Andy <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> so like meatloaf can be dope for one day and one serving, but then anytime after that, it's reheated meatloaf and it's trash. Is that what you're saying, essentially? Yes, and uh, the one serving is not happening this Saturday. Sorry, time has come and passed. Yeah, you are truly one of the great minds of our time. (laughs) Right up there, you know, with the Jonas Salks of the world. Yeah, you're really up there. <laughs> um, I want to I want to talk really quickly because after that victory against Notre Dame, there were some big recruits on campus and a much needed recruiting win after things had kind of settled down a little bit. And we got an early start on our recruiting, um, and we had really filled a lot of our open positions. But this is going to do wonders for recruiting. So I kind of wanted to talk about remaining recruiting needs and uh, and what you see us needing on this team. And uh, and I'll start. I mean, we we're really loaded up on. Uh, safety guys, and we've got a nasty safety class coming in with Jordan Morant. Um, I mean, who else we got? We got RJ Moten, um, Andre Selden on the back end, Kalel Mullings is Macari Page, Macari Page, another safety. Um, so really set at both safety positions, probably at Viper position. But I see us needing right now what could really close out this recruiting cycle um, is a tight end and a defensive end. How do you see this? I'm close. I uh, tight end for me. 
I'm more inside linebacker. We have Cornell Wheeler down the chart a little bit. But we have a lot of outside linebackers that can be converted, but I think we, and that's probably what Don Brand will do to utilize the speed, but I'd like to see another true inside Mike type of backer, like the Micah Parsons of the world. I mean, maybe not the five-star that he was, but somebody of that class. And as far as tight ends, I think you're nail on the head. We can never have too many the way Michigan utilizes them. Yeah, definitely could use that. Osman Savage is interesting because he's 6'2", 225. Uh, you could put him at the inside. I mean, he's got enough size there. What's really interesting is Makari Page is 6'3", 182. I mean, if that guy can put on 35 pounds, I mean, you can move him all over the field. It'll be interesting. So, yeah, I think another offensive lineman to pair with Zach Zinter, who I'm really high on. Um, we've got, uh, as well, uh, Jeffrey Percy, six, seven, two sixty five tackle three star, but, uh, another guy that, that we're pretty high on. I think, uh, guys that we've got targeted Andrew Gentry, a four star and Theo Johnson, a tight end four star six, four are guys to really keep an eye on. And, uh, yeah, a defensive end prospect. Don't really see a lot of defensive tackles, defensive ends on this, uh, recruit list right now. Got a couple big ones, though. Obviously, Braden McGregor is the huge one up yeah. top at 6'5 and a half, 250 coming in. But as we talked about before, Michigan's got a lot of defensive end depth. And they got a lot of offensive line depth currently with some of the freshmen on campus that aren't playing yet. So I'm not, I'm not stressing about this class like I have prior ones. No, I'm definitely not stressing. And, uh, you know, Maisie Smith and Chris Hinton, I don't think have played enough to have burned their red shirts yet. No, or Ojabo. Or Ojabo. So we've got guys that we could just redshirt and kind of fill in some of those positions. But I would say maybe tight end. Uh, we've got Nick Patterson committed, three-star. He's 6'3", 225. And I don't like to worry about the stars too much. But I am a little more concerned about the 6'3". I'd like to go see them get a 6'4", 6'5", or even 6'6", tight end. Some guy that's real athletic, I think, could really, really help this, this position group. But a solid recruiting class right now. We're floating right there around the top 10. Uh, right up there with like the Georgias of the world. So a couple more guys. And I think that this class paired with what we got coming back next year, you can start to feel really, really excited about what we got. Yeah. And my favorite stat about this class is we have three players from the same high school in Maryland. It's the St. Francis Academy. We have Micah Mazku. I can never pronounce his name right. The tackle. He's from there. Osman Savage is from there. And Corum, Blake Corum, yeah, the running Blake back. Corum, Blake Corum's from there. All three from the same school right now. Yeah, and Blake Corum's a monster. He's like a Mike Hart. He's 585, 195-ish. Uh, and he's gonna come in and probably challenge for carries already with Hassan Haskins, Zach Charbonnet. We could get Chris Evans back, and then you get Blake Corum. So running back's a position that I'm really excited about. Uh, we'll definitely have to replace some offensive linemen. So guys like Zach Zinter and and some other underclassmen are going to be big as well. So offensive line's another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, they'll fill in. We already got people like Barnhart and those guys already on campus just sitting there getting reps in practice. Yeah, and I mean, Andrew Stuber should be back healthy at one of the tackles next year. And uh, Ruiz could come back. Yep, we have, then you have Nolan Rumler, Trevor Keegan from the class from last year. So yep. Michigan's sitting in good shape depth wise as good as I can remember in recent history yeah and that's why I mean it's it, you can't take for granted getting one guy in and letting him just recruit recruit and build the program from the inside out because now instead of filling guys in where you don't feel real real really feel good about it uh, we like our depth almost everywhere on this team yeah this is what you get when you stick with the process and it ebbs and it flows and you ride the waves 
Because if you're in the right hands and someone that is competent and has long-term vision, this is the end result. How do you see this offense looking next year? Uh, let's go across that just really quickly across the line and how, and how you see it. Explosive. <laughs> in a word, in a, with, with McCaffrey, assuming one of DPJ and Nico Collins comes back, uh, bringing Stuber back at one of the tackles, he and Mayfield anchor the sides. Uh, Ruiz is back. You anchored the t- uh, two younger guys outside of him. And the running back depth right there, I think they're going to be explosive. Second year in this offense, there's not going to be the rust busters we need anymore. Now, I'm, I'm excited, really excited for everything going forward. Not changing systems, nothing like that. Everyone's accustomed to it. Let's go. Let's go, baby. Yeah, the optimism runs anew after that victory over Notre Dame and uh, a little more pep in our step this week after this one. And, you know, like we were saying last week, uh, everything's still to play for in our mind. You've got all three of your rivals or you've already taken one off the list. You got two of your rivals remaining, both of them at home. And now this team can just play a little bit more relaxed. I mean, the, the Big Ten, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Just go out there and have a great season and play good football. Five weeks from this weekend is when it all comes down to. It does. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's take care of Maryland this weekend. Then we got ourselves a big showdown with Michigan State looming. So things are on the up and up. I'm very excited. Uh, Any last thoughts from you, my friend? Trample the dead. Trample the dead. I'm getting that tattooed on my forehead. (laughs) That's going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter. Follow Mason Brew on Twitter at Mason Brew. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Follow Andy and I on Twitter at Andy underscore Bailey one and at Blue 87 sure you like share subscribe leave a review for all your shows and content wherever you get your podcast by searching maize and brew podcasts on apple google spotify and more we'll be back tomorrow with a brand new episode of closing time hosted by our fearless leader anthony broom i am jared that is andy this is out of the blue and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue